He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hold Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you as always. And before we get started here, I want everybody to go follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram as well. And you can follow me at Sam Humphreys 34 on Twitter as well. And T dub, we have a lot of golf to talk about today. And obviously the NCAA tournament's going on. There's all sorts of sports going on. Last night we have baseball and softball on top of the NCAA tournament, but there's two great golf tournaments going on this week. We have the Valspar, down at Innisbrook in in Florida. And then we also have Live Golf Tucson. And both tournaments have some very intriguing names on the leaderboard, T-Dub. But before we get started, guys, this is one of the worst times of the year to me because you look outside and it should be warm, but it's not. Isn't that the worst feeling, T-Dub, when you, go, when you look out the window and you're like, man, it looks like a nice day outside. Nope, it is a little nipply out here. Yeah, the last three mornings, Sam, have been essentially that. Go to go to let the dog out, and you think, oh, just the shorts I'm wearing will be fine. No, about freeze to death whenever you walk outside. So hopefully by the time that uh, the master starts rolling around here in a couple weeks, we can get the temperature cranked up uh, just a few degrees. No doubt about it. But T-Dub, let's go ahead and talk about the Valspar Championship down at Innisbrook. Adam Shank, by the way, does anybody know where Adam Shank went to college at? No no guesses? No guesses? No guesses. Purdue University. So let's uh, hope that it goes better for Adam Shank than it did for his alma mater yesterday or the day before that. Hopefully, look, he's the underdog to Jordan Spieth today, but Adam Shank does have a one-shot lead over Jordan Spieth and Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood still looking for his first win on the PGA Tour. Another familiar name, Webb Simpson, sitting there at six under, and a very familiar name to us here in Oklahoma, Taylor Moore, sitting there at six under par, shot two under yesterday, and I want to start there, T-Dub. Taylor Moore, who obviously played his high school golf at Edmond Memorial, went on to play his college golf at the University of Arkansas. By the way, shout out to Arkansas yesterday, knocking off Kansas. That was a big-time win for them in the NCAA tournament. But Taylor Moore, T-Dub, is lurking. And this might be the week where Taylor Moore breaks through. T-Dub, make the case for our man T-Moore. I, I'm a big fan of, of Timor this afternoon. I think it's going to really play into this favor. One of the reasons is that the wind is supposed to get up pretty heavily this afternoon. Uh, according to the forecast, I see getting anywhere between 18 and about 16 to 18 mile per hour winds throughout the whole rest of the day. And obviously, as you just alluded to, growing up playing in Oklahoma and Arkansas, you get used to the wind, the wind pretty quickly. And you look at his scorecard yesterday, Sam, he only made one bogey on a course that was playing extremely tough. He bogeyed the eighth hole, but he was able to birdie the first hole and then came in with two good birdies on 14 and 15 coming down the stretch and just like Taylor Moore usually does he's driving the ball exceptionally well gaining almost a full shot off of the tees and gaining 1.36 
on the greens as well and gaining strokes in every other category. So seems like Taylor has almost every single aspect of his game going right now, especially the putting and his driver, which are the two things that really stick out for him. So, yeah, I think uh, I think I think our friend T. Moore has a great chance to, uh, to pull off uh, a win this afternoon. No doubt about it. T. Moore is one of the better ball strikers that I've ever played with in my life. And Taylor is getting it done, like you said, on the greens. In round three, he almost gained two and a half shots on the field on the greens. If he's able to putt like that on a course that's obviously playing very, very hard, I think that you've got to go with the better putters when it's super windy because everybody is going to miss greens. And obviously, you know, you're not going to chip everything stone dead. And so you've got to go with the guys that are rolling the rock. And on the week, T. Moore is gaining a shot and a half on the field per round on the greens. And that's the guys that are all on top of this leaderboard. If you go throughout the, the top really seven guys, T-Dub, on this leaderboard, they're all gaining over a shot and, and most of them a shot and a half on the field. Just speak a little bit to how important it is to be putting well when it's windy. It's pretty obvious, but, but it's really important. Well, all the points you just made, Sam, were exactly right because when you have a course playing, uh, not only just a course that's playing tough, but just a tough course in general, I mean, that could be zero, zero mile per hour win out of out of, in a Sprook Copperhead course, and it would still be playing tough. And now you get a, a stiff breeze going out there, and just like you alluded to, the only uh, guys really in the top top uh, top seven that aren't gaining shots on the greens, Wyndham Clark's gaining a little bit there, but Matt Wallace isn't as well, but making up for it with his approach game. So, yeah, it's it's really just, you look at it, too, whenever you add up all those guys who, who are up there gaining shots, had they just not putted very well, they'd be down at, what, four or three under, which by no stretch is out of this golf tournament, but that's down in 10th and 13th place. That's just a couple of putts here or there. So, yeah, it's uh, really been the deal breaker here because everyone's going to make mistakes, and it's so hard to make birdies anyway that whenever you are given those opportunities, you definitely have to capitalize on a course like this no doubt about it let's talk about adam shank by the way one of the greatest golf names of all time it sounds like some creative player on tiger woods pga tour or something like that but adam shank obviously from indiana played his college golf at purdue his best finish in a major championship is a tie for 24th at the 2022 u.s open uh he has two uh professional wins one on the corn Ferry tour it was the web.com tour at the time and then uh, has another win at the Iowa Open, but he's really just kind of been a journeyman and has never really been in this position, T-Dub. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think that in his first three years on the PGA Tour, he didn't even have a top 10, then finally held a 54-hole lead um, on the PGA Tour in October of 2021 at the Shriners Children's Open. Um, and then he could only manage a, a one-under final, a one-under par final round resulting in a tie for third finish. But he's really just kind of been, you know, in the middle of the pack his entire PGA Tour career. Hadn't really played bad enough to lose his card, but hadn't really played good enough, you know, to, to, to kind of break through on the PGA Tour. And today might be his day. Uh, tell the people a little bit more about what his analytics say and what his game is like uh, leading into Sunday. Well, first of all, I was really shocked when I look here, and he's only 31 years old. I feel like I've been saying, what kind of last name is Shank? Ha, ha, ha. I feel like I've been saying that for 20 years now. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's a testament that he's actually been able to be out there a little bit longer than I thought and actually still has a good amount of career left in him, which is which is pretty crazy just uh, just off the off the surface of it. But look at him. He's actually been playing really good this year. Up, up until he missed the cut uh, last week at the Players, he had made his last six cuts in a row on the PJ Tour, gaining shots on the greens. And every 
every single one of them, and really the big difference where he's been able to change his, uh, really since he's come out on the PJ Tour, same as around the greens. His first five years on tour, he lost strokes around the greens, Was not has not been a very good chipper in his history out there, but is actually gaining strokes around the greens this year and has been doing it pretty extensively over the course of the last few weeks. He didn't do it when he missed the cut at the players, so it seems like his chipping is really something, Sam, we need to watch out for. His ball striking really hasn't ever been elite. He's always kind of around middle of the pack. Hasn't been hitting it particularly well a couple of times this year, but he does have some flurries of some good golf. And, and one thing I was impressed with yesterday was he played the snake pit his, his last three holes at two under. He birdied 16 and birdied 18, which is very, very clutch. Went 3-3-3 three, three, three finish, which showed that on the Saturday afternoon when you haven't really been there in that situation, it, it could really uh, pay dividends that, that show that he was able to do that. So, and gaining a lot of strokes on the greens, as we kind of alluded to earlier in the show. So seems like this week, Sammy's kind of putting it all together. I'm in, I'll be interested to see if he gets in some tricky situations around the greens, if his weaknesses start to come out there a little bit, because that has been his weakness in the past. No doubt about it. Let's talk about the guys chasing him, because they are big names. And they, uh, you know, other than Justin Thomas, they're probably two of the biggest names in this golf tournament, considering it's, not a, it's a non-elevated event. P-Dub, and let's start with Jordan Speed. Jordan Speed, since the Tour Championship, has had kind of a roller coaster ride as far as how he's how he's been finishing. I mean, he has a couple tied for fours, tied for six at Phoenix and and uh, the Arnold Palmer, but then he also has missed cuts at the Genesis and the Sony Open in Hawaii, and it just seems like everything hasn't clicked on the right week for Jordan Speed. But this week, it's the first time. Well, he gained uh, strokes in every single category at the at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill, um, but he hadn't done that since the Tour Championship. T Dub, it's just kind of been like you know Jordan Spieth drove it well this week, but putted terrible, or hit his irons well that week, but drove it terrible, or you know it, it just seems like it's kind of been this cycle where he hasn't gotten everything to click. Obviously, going through some swing changes. We'll get into those later. Obviously. Jordan Spieth standing up a little taller to the ball and, and, and definitely not quite as laid off as he has been in the past. Um, but I really like what I've seen from Jordan Spieth and leading into Augusta National is that's, that's going to be really impressive uh, if he can kind of get this swing stuff figured out before Augusta National. And it looks like by the way he's playing at Innisbrook this week, he's getting some things figured out, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, in all honesty. You look to where he, he comparatively back to when 2015, 2017, when he was playing his best golf. Currently, he doesn't hit it as straight as he used to, and he doesn't make as many putts as he used to. That's really the thing. He actually hits it further now than he did when he was really playing his best golf, so that's something that if he can get everything clicking a little bit more, I think that he'll be better. He'll be a lot better off. But really, Sam, the, the putting seems to be what has been the craziest, the most fluctuating thing. Really going back to the Tour Championship, as you alluded to, I mean, over his last five events, he's he's actually gained strokes gain on the green the last two, his last two turns. But before that, lost his last three turns before that, lost strokes gain on the greens and lost a lot of them, too. I mean, just putting absolutely horrible. His driver's been streaky. But one thing that is promising is that he, had, in his last four tournaments, he has gained strokes, approached the green a decent amount in every tournament, and gaining strokes around the greens as well. So hitting the ball very solid into the greens, and even when he does miss the greens, he's chipping very well as well. So I think that's something to look at. And 
Obviously, his putting, as I was just alluding to, he's gaining 1.2 uh, strokes on the greens on the week. But in the first round, he's Sam, he gained 4.5 on the greens. He made like 150 feet of putts or something. It was absolutely ridiculous, the, the amount of putts he was pulling in. He actually lost 1.6 in the second round. So you tend to see that, right? You go one round where you make every single thing you look at. The next day, it's right. usually not the case, and you can get very frustrated. So you look at it yesterday, he gained 0.7 on the greens as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he can keep that good putter rolling because that's one thing we saw at Bay Hill, right? Got in contention, was the leader, had a great chance to win. Missed, what, three or four, five-footers coming down the stretch? So that's what I'm looking at for, for Jordan Spieth this afternoon. Looks like his iron swing, looks like all his technical stuff is somewhat getting there, and he's definitely looking like he's getting geared up for Augusta. But this afternoon, Sam, in particular, the back nine, wind gets blowing, greens get a little grainy. Th- those essentially five to ten-footers is what Spieth's going to have to make comparatively to what he did at Bay Hill to win this tournament. No doubt. And if you're a Jordan Spieth fan, the thing you should be looking for is for Jordan Spieth to be playing golf and not golf swing. Because when he is on on the top of the leaderboard or in contention on a leaderboard and he is playing golf, he is a threat to be reckoned with. And he just hasn't had that same kind of allure that he had when he first came on tour and and. and you know, everybody kind of feared him because he was going to make those key putts at the key times. And it seems like when he went through all these swing changes, T-Dub, it seems like he kind of lost a little bit of that luster that he had when he was a young guy coming out. Even though his swing wasn't necessarily the prettiest swing on tour, you knew that he was going to make those key putts in the crucial moments. And then obviously last week at the players, we saw Jordan Spieth kind of beat in contention and then it looked like maybe tweaked his back a little bit and Michael Greller said he really didn't but I think he really did and I think part of it might be because he was tinkering with his putting posture and was ironically with the driver he's standing up taller and closer to the ball but with his putting it looked like he was deliberately hunching over a little bit more and I've wondered if that might have caused some of the back issues. Yeah, a lot of people think, oh, well, you're swinging 120 miles an hour. That's probably going to be the reason your back hurts. But it, you will hurt your back a lot more than, than people think just by practicing putting, especially when you get into a more hunched-over posture. Even even Tiger mentioned that. He actually added, I think it was a quarter inch to, to the, his Scotty Cameron just a year ago or so whenever he was trying to come back because he wasn't able to, to hunch over as much. He needed to stand taller to preserve his back. So that's definitely something to look at. And then even as you were alluding to earlier with the swing changes, Sam, it's, his swing wasn't the prettiest when he came out, but then he started to change it more and more. Like his club progressively kept getting more laid off. Even the tempo started to change a little bit, which was something that when Spieth first came out was one of the things I loved about about his swing was that at least his tempo was all the same. And he's always been, from what I've seen, a pretty predominant draw player. And so whenever you try to get real laid off like that, the club, the club's coming in more on the inside. So you have to turn more with your body to square it up. And that's just not really how draw players are made. They, they, they use their arms a lot more often. So I think him getting his club a little bit more upright into a more what I'll call a neutral position at the top, Sam, I think is what's leading to him being able to hit his irons a, a lot better. He's always been streaky in that category, but it seems like over this last month or so, he's really got it figured out. I think it's exactly what you're alluding to with the swing changes. No doubt. I think this is Jordan Spieth's tournament to lose, in my opinion. Kind of the, the similar situation as to what we saw Scotty Scheffler in at the Players' Championship. I think that Jordan Spieth should look at this leaderboard and say, I'm by far the best name on this leaderboard. I'm going to go win this tournament at the Valspar today. But if someone has something to say about that, it might be Tommy Fleetwood. And Tommy Fleetwood is a popular name 
uh, out on the PGA Tour, probably because of all his Ryder Cup success in the past. Um, but in this wraparound season, T-Dub, in 2023, he's kind of had an up-and-down roller coaster type start to the season, similar to what we've seen from Jordan Spieth. He won the Ned Bate Golf Challenge um, late earlier in the year. Uh, that was obviously on the DP World Tour, and then he has a miscut at the Phoenix Open, but he also has a, a 20th at the Hero, obviously not a great finish there, but that's one of his top 20s, and then the Genesis Invitational, that is a good top 20 finish there at the elevated event there. And then at the players championship, he was up there close uh, to being in contention and then drops back a little bit on Sunday and finishes tied for 27th. But when you watch Tommy Fleetwood, to me, it all comes down to that putter. And yes, it's looked great at times with the claw grip and, and certain putts like in the Ryder cup where he just hands them. But then all of a sudden he gets out on the PGA tour. And for some reason, just doesn't look like the same uh, kind of jubilant guy. He kind of just looks like he's going through the motions a little bit, just kind of an average player on the PGA Tour. And I don't understand it because when we watch him in major championships or the Ryder Cup, he's a different guy, similar to what we see from kind of Brooks Kepka at times. And uh, I mean, what have you seen over the past year or two from, from Tommy Fleetwood to make you think that now is the time where he starts winning on the PGA Tour and then we talk about Tommy Fleetwood winning major championships because I feel like a lot of people, even Americans, would like Tommy Fleetwood to start winning on the PGA Tour because he is such a likable guy. Well, as you mentioned, his putter really has been the streaky thing. He, he's about 50-50 on if he gains strokes on the greens or loses strokes. Comparatively to his other stats, he gains strokes around the green almost every single week that he plays. One of the best chippers, uh, really, essentially, in the world. Gains strokes off the tee about 60-70% to 70% of the time. Gains strokes approach the green about 80-85% of the time. So, that has all those other categories there. The putter has been what's streaky. But also, looking at Sam, comparatively, we talked about this a little bit on the preview show last week. He just doesn't hit the ball as far as he used to for whatever reason and usually whenever that happens your accuracy will get a lot straighter but he used to be one of the best drivers in the world when it came to overall distance and accuracy and he hits it a lot shorter than he used to and his accuracy is about the same even sometimes a little bit shorter so he's not being able to take advantage of great tee shots as he was hitting so that's something uh, to definitely look at going forward but even looking at his stats that's this week Sam looks like he has everything rolling gaining a shot on the greens so he feels comfortable there they're gaining a shot approach the green gaining 0.75 a around the greens, and is positive off the tee as well. So Tommy Fleetwood, looking like he's showing some very good golf, played very, very steady round yesterday. Uh, only two birdies on, on two of the par fives, and then 16 pars after that, which is essentially what you're asking for on, on a very difficult golf course that allows you to move up. So if, if Tommy can play as mistake-free as he did yesterday, I think he has a great chance to win this tournament. Just like you said, can kind of break through the barrier and finally get his win on the PJ Tour because he's been out there and played such good golf for so long, it's pretty crazy that he still hasn't get, been able to get that elusive win. No doubt about it. It's kind of similar to a Victor Hovland, right? Where he hasn't won in the continental United States. And you go, how, you know, like how is Tommy Fleetwood not won on the PGA tour? You know, a guy that has won on the PGA tour and has won a major championship. That's Webb Simpson. And he's sitting there two shots back. And Webb Simpson is a popular name, obviously from his U S open win, but T-Dub he's been playing terrible golf, uh, as of late and Webb Simpson had this quote um, yesterday. He said, as hard as it's been and as frustrating and at moments wanting to snap every club in my bag, I've had a lot of peace 
through the this last year and a half. And and through the last year and a half on the golf course, it's tough to see how he had much peace because you look at his data golf stats and he's losing shots in two or three categories every single week, has a ton of missed cuts over the past year. He completely has lost his form that he had when he won the U.S. Open. Um, and so T-Dub, I mean, this would be a massive win if not for anything else other than confidence for Webb Simpson today. He's a guy that I'm probably rooting for as well, along with Taylor Moore, uh, to win this Valspar Championship because I would like to see Webb Simpson, a guy that's had that success in the past, get back to the form that he did have. Well, it's pretty funny. They were talking uh, to Webb on Golf Central, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday uh, about rolling the, the distance ball back. And I'm like, I completely forgot Webb Simpson even still played golf because that's how bad he had been playing. <laughs> Recently, I mean, you look at comparatively back to 2012 when he won the U.S. Open at, at Olympic Club. He hits the ball shorter than he used to. His iron play isn't as good. His short game is way worse than it used to be. And he doesn't make near as many putts. The only thing that he does, even remotely similar, is that he hits it about as straight. And... I mean, Sam, I watched him hit a couple of shots yesterday, and I just think, man, how in the world does that swing produce results? I mean, it's just one of the ugliest actions you've ever seen, but yet a major champion has won so much money on the PJ Tour. It's absolutely crazy. And he did have a top 25 finish at the Arnold Palmer a couple weeks ago, but before that had not finished better than, a, I think, 65th or something like that, going all the way back to the Travelers Championship last year. So, yeah, just has not been playing very good. But, yeah, a feel-good story. He's 37 years old. It seems like he's been out there forever. I thought he was actually a little bit older than that. So maybe he's got another good run in him. We've seen some players kind of later on in their late 30s, even early 40s, kind of rejuvenate their careers sometimes. So maybe Webb's got that in him. But uh, he's going to have to show some work because uh, he hasn't been up this close at the leaderboard with a chance to win in some time. No doubt about it. You mentioned rule changes in the USGA and RNA and PGA Tour. I think that Webb Simpson probably was hindered by the rule change of, of the belly putter more than anybody else. It, it seems like he really started struggling after they made that change to say that you can't anchor anymore. And so it's interesting to hear his thoughts um, on you know, them rolling the, the golf ball back. I don't think that that might actually happen. The more that I hear live players and PGA tour players actually agreeing on something, uh, you know, it's a really stupid proposition uh, when you hear live players and PGA tour players agreeing on something, but it is interesting to hear what Webb had to say about that. T-Dub, you are listening to the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animal. T-Dub, Sam Humphreys will be with you until Noon and after the break, we're going to talk Live Golf Tucson. So stay tuned here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. It's just it's one of the things that I've enjoyed most about um, about Live so far, apart from the golf, obviously. Um, but all the camaraderie off the course and having guys that you want to play well uh, on top of you, obviously. So um, and you know having those dinners and the breakfast, like you talk about, um, and just having basically someone built in to, to chill with so it's been been really fun and yeah we've we've hit it off um quite nicely the, the four of us and that is mark leishman who is in the lead of live golf tucson t-dub mark leishman is an interesting name because we've seen his name on top of you know leaderboards or in contention on leaderboards at major championships we've seen him in president's cups before um, and it seemed like out of everybody who went to live, he kind of struggled 
through that transition as opposed to a guy like Matthew Wolf, who the transition was good for him. Mark Leishman has kind of struggled and not played as well as he was before he made that transition to live. But this week, he'd, uh, Mark Leishman is playing some great golf on another tough golf course. We, we talked about how tough Innisbrook is playing on the PGA Tour. The Gallery Golf Club out in Tucson, Arizona, is playing very hard as well. Mark Leishman, 11 under through three rounds. You may say, well, that doesn't sound too hard. Well, look at all the other scores because Mark Leishman must be playing a different golf course than everybody else. Two-shot lead over Sergio Garcia. And then you have Louis Eustace and Charles Howe III, who is a big-time friend of the show here on the 73rd hole. You have Cameron Tringali, Brandon Steele, uh, Brendan Steele, excuse me, and uh, all there tied for third. So it's going to be an interesting day on live. But I go back to the round yesterday that Mark Leishman had, T-Dub. He started off with an eagle on one, then had a birdie. Uh, by the way, chip in eagle on one. It, it was a great shot. His short game was phenomenal yesterday, whether it be the chip in or he had a couple of great bunker shots as well. Um, but then threw a birdie at him on five and seven and eight. Uh, did have a bogey at 10, but then made all pars until 17 uh, to shoot five under in that second round, P-Dub. And it's interesting that Mark Leishman is playing some golf leading up to the Masters, P-Dub, because he has had some great finishes at Augusta National. He had a, a top five at the 2021 Masters. He had a 13th at the COVID Masters. He had... Uh, a top 10, a, a solo ninth at the 2018 Masters. And so leading up to Augusta National, he seems like a guy, uh, you know, that is kind of wanting to get his game right. And T-Dub, I mean, Mark Leishman, what we've seen from him on live has not been that great. I mean, he did have a, a tied for six in the Saudi event uh, at, at the Saudi International, but obviously that's not a live event. He had a, a top 10 in Bangkok, and that has been his only top 10 on the Live Golf Tour. And so, to me, T-Dub, it looks like a completely different guy who spent the offseason getting his game right. And that's why when we talked about on our podcast, it's tough to kind of prognosticate how some of these Live guys are going to play early in the season because they've never had an offseason. But maybe the offseason is one of the better things for a guy like Mark Leishman 11 under two shot lead at a tough golf course. I like to see a guy. We talk about Webb Simpson kind of getting his game right. Let's talk about Mark Leishman getting his game right because it's kind of similar. Yes, it very could be as well. And we don't have strokes gain for, for all the individual categories like we used to on the PGA Tour. But the last two events, the Saudi International has alluded to in the live down in Mayakoba, he's gained shots on the field in both those two events, which is something he had not done his previous uh, six of the previous seven events that he had played before then, really going back to the start of live, as you were alluding to him not coming out very well. So uh, looks like he has figured out a little bit something at the start of this year. And it seems like really going back to, you kind of mentioned that COVID Masters, and really since then, his game was kind of bottoming out around that point. He kind of got it a little bit back. Seemed like every, almost every category was getting a little bit better going all the way up to the start of 2022. 
And then really there, his game has just been on a steady decline since that point. I mean, he, he hits the ball about as far as he used to, but every single other aspect, especially approach to green and around the greens, ha- has drastically came down, which is uh, very interesting to see because, as you mentioned, he has some great finishes at Augusta, which you wouldn't think from someone who predominantly fades the ball as much as he does. I don't know if Mark Leishman is able to hit a draw with, with the swing that he has, but I think that's one of the reasons why he's played this course very well, too. It's not... The fairways at uh, at the Gallery Club are not the, the narrowest in the world, but if you miss them, you can get in some very serious trouble. So I think he's had enough ball control off of the tee to put himself in some good positions. He actually, I thought, could have been able to extend his lead a little bit more, but he did bogey the 10th hole, but they were saying yesterday that it is the hardest hole on the course, at least uh, statistically. So, you know, bogey there, okay, and then was only able to play his next eight holes at one under. If he could have made a couple more and extended that lead, I, I think he easily could have done that, but wasn't able to. But uh, we'll see if, because like you mentioned, he hasn't been playing particularly well. And whenever you got a lot of money on the line like we're going to have today, and also you have the Rippers uh, making a little bit of run in the in the team competition, only five back off the lead there. So there's a, there's going to be a lot of moving parts this afternoon, Sam. No doubt about it. You mentioned the team competition. The Fireballs are in the lead. The Fireballs with Abe Anser, Carlos Ortiz, Eugenio lopez Chikara, former OSU player and uh, Sergio Garcia, and that's who I want to talk about next. Sergio Garcia sitting there two shots back, T-Dub, and he hasn't played great golf since going to live either, but I think that he, more than anybody else, has leaned into the team aspect of live, and it makes sense considering he's maybe the greatest Ryder Cupper of all time, Um, and it also makes sense that Sergio might be playing some better golf right now than he has been since the live transition because it is leading up to Augusta National. And, you know, after he won in 2017 at Augusta National, he missed three straight cuts and then had a top 25 last year. But it makes sense that Sergio Garcia is wanting to get his game right before Augusta. And it looks really good. Nine under on a tough golf course. What have you seen from Sergio Garcia? Well, five of his last six events, he's gaining strokes on the field. So he's getting a little bit of form coming into this tournament for sure. And and I've I seen him, in particular, Sergio has been predominantly his best over his career with his irons. I mean, he's one of the best iron players essentially of all time. And from what I've seen, especially on some of the par threes, I saw it look like he was hitting very good controlled shots in there, playing to the middle of the greens a lot of times. And he's actually been able to make some putts as well, Sam. He got on a little bit of a streak there from from seven through through 12. He actually, in that six-hole stretch, did not make a par. He had one bogey in there, but then had the five birdies as well. So that was able to really vault him up the leaderboard during that stretch. So, And I think you're exactly right. I think that he does have a little bit of rejuvenation. And what is kind of sad to see from someone like Sergio is I don't think there's a, a prayer that he'll be able to play on the Ryder Cup team probably ever again. So And, and probably not even be a, a captain in any sense, which is just an absolute crime because of, of all the success and all the great things he's been able to do for Europe in that contest. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely think that he's motivated. A lot, of, a lot of these live guys, I think, are going to be motivated for the Masters and the Majors this year just to be able to make a point. And I think that Sergio is a prime example that uh, even at 43 years old, he's, uh, he's getting his game up and he hasn't given up yet. No doubt about it. We talk about Augusta National, T-Dub. Louis Ustazen has been right there at Augusta National. He's never got a green jacket, but he obviously has the double eagle on two and, and was battling Bubba Watson. He was who Bubba Watson beat in that playoff when he when Bubba hooked the, the 52 degree and on number 10 in the playoff and, and won the green jacket. But Louis Ustazen, another guy who started off hot on live and team stinger with uh, Charles Schwartzel was doing a lot of great things when live first started at live London. And then 
After that, Louie kind of faded off a little bit, and it seems like he's got his game in a really solid place leading up to the Masters as well, eight under uh, for the golf tournament. And yesterday uh, on his round, Louis Oosthuizen birdied one, he birdied three, birdied four, he birdied five, he birdied 11. Uh, he did have bogeys at two and 14, but Louis Oosthuizen, one of the prettiest swings in professional golf, and if he can start rolling the rock a little bit and, and maybe putting himself in there in, in contention on Sundays, I mean, he's a guy to look out for just based off experience, right? Absolutely. And he, he mentioned that bogey on two yesterday. He actually made a really good bogey there because he drove it right into a, a cactus bush type thing and had to take an unplayable. He was arguing with the rules official for like 10 minutes on, on where the exact line was he take it back because with the desert, he was trying to get it back onto some grass and the rules official just absolutely wasn't having it but was able to, to rebound after that. And remember, what he closed his uh, his first run with five or six straight birdies. So, I mean, he just got on a, a really That's good right. uh, run there. and. He kind of needs it because he's played three tournaments to start this year. His best finish is 28th, and he just really hasn't been playing very good in really any aspect. Finished 42nd down at Mayakoba. The shot, the few shots I saw from him down there, he just didn't seem to be in form, which is to expect from Louie. He probably spent his offseason on his farm, and, and he needs a little bit of time to, to get his swing back in gear. And as you mentioned, we just talked about guys being motivated for Augusta, and I think he's a prime example of that. He had to withdraw last year in 2022, but before that, I had not missed a cut going all the back all the way back to 2013, and obviously you mentioned the double eagle that he has whenever he lost in the playoff to Bubba Watson that year. That was the year that Bubba hit the miraculous gap wedge 80 yard draw out, out of the trees on 10. So kind of got beat by by one of the best shots that we've seen in the long history of Augustus. So yeah, once again, I think he's motivated. I just think it's taking Louie a little bit of time because he he loves his farm so much that uh, it's hard to get him off there to, uh, to practice in the offseason. No doubt about it, P Dub. Obviously, I was on air all day yesterday talking about the NCAA tournament. So I didn't get to watch uh, Live Golf Live yesterday, but I did watch the highlights, and it seemed like the two guys that were just rolling in bombs all day were Sergio Garcia and Louis Eusthazen. I mean, you had Sergio Garcia with the birdie at 9, and then 11 and 12, all putts over 15 feet. Uh, did miss a shorty at number 16, but then bounced back with the birdie at 17. And then you have Louis Eustazen with long putts at two and four. Uh, like you said, had to take an unplayable solid bogey, but did make that long putt. And Stinger only seven shots off the lead, two off the podium. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that could, could win this golf tournament. But first, I mean, for someone who might have been watching the NCAA tournament or the Valspar, there's a lot of sports to watch this weekend. What have you seen from the Gallery Golf Club and obviously, we've seen it on the PGA Tour before, right? Yeah, it hosted the uh, the WGC Match Play Tournament back in 2007 and 2008. I believe Hendrick Stinson won in 2007, and, and Tiger actually won in 2008. And it was pretty interesting because I didn't remember the course particularly well. I mean, that's been, what, 15, 16 years ago now. But I'm seeing a lot of holes that are coming up, and it's kind of like just rejuvenating that, that memory. And it's like, oh, I remember that hole. I remember seeing Tiger hit it here, hit it here uh, on this course. And so it's it's been a, a really good test, in my opinion. It's not, I mentioned earlier, it's not the toughest off the tee box, but if you miss the fairways it can be extremely penalizing and there's a lot of areas around the green sam to where if you do miss the greens it's going to be really tough to get up and down i saw a answer in a few spots yesterday where it's just like you drop a range bucket down there and you may get up and down 
two or three times for some of these spots. So you can definitely get yourself out of position. One of the things that Liv has been a big proponent of is making the courses extremely difficult and making it a test for the 48 players in the field. And I think we're seeing that again this week. And it's been a, a really good test to, uh, to to just see the different types of game play play this course like this. It's uh, It's been interesting. And like I said, the, the, the cool thing has just been going back and remembering, oh, yeah, Tiger won this hole by doing this and this and this and getting to see them now do it. It's a course that kind of got lost in the annals of golf because we just hadn't had a tournament there in so long. No doubt about it. The last team that I want to talk about is the team in second, one shot back. The High Flyers, who a lot of people prognosticated before the season would be the worst team on the Live Golf Tour. Um, but Brandon Steele, obviously the High Flyers are Phil Mickelson's team, uh, if you weren't aware of that. But uh, Brandon Steele, six under par, Cameron Tringali, five under par, and Phil Mickelson yesterday throws a 67 at them. I mean, they have a really solid chance to win this golf tournament. Cameron Tringali obviously was a solid player on the PGA Tour. He went bogey-free yesterday. Brendan Steele only had one bogey, and Phil Mickelson went bogey-free in a, in a format where you count three scores and drop one. Uh, James Pyatt ended up shooting 70 uh, and didn't even have a score count on a tough golf course yesterday. Of those three counting scores, they only had one bogey between all three of them in round two really impressive golf and then what are your thoughts on phil mickelson leading into the masters p-dub it's kind of interesting how all these guys who have had some prior success at augusta national all of a sudden start playing good in march my my question whenever i, I was noticing and play yesterday is when's the last time phil went bogey free it has to have been at least like five years right <laughs> i mean right. like like with how he's been playing there's no way i would have never guessed phil mickelson have a bogey free right i would have picked every single one of the 47 other players to say, hey, who do you think will go bogey-free today? Phil would have been at the very bottom of that list. So, I mean, de- definitely <laughs> showing that uh, he's getting a little bit of form going into Augusta. And I, I know that there's you know, there's a lot of things that can happen at Augusta, Sam, and don't want to get ahead of ourselves because I don't think there's a- any chance that it happens. But what if but we had... could you imagine... But could you, but could you imagine some sort of Tiger Phil pairing, some sort of Tiger Phil shootout coming down the stretch? I mean, could there be anything better in the game of golf? So yes, we need Phil to keep playing some better golf, not only just for the Lip PJ Tour thing, but he's one of the top ten, probably top ten at worst, best players of all time, and we need to see him getting a little back and forth. I mean, he just won a major what two, three years ago. So I mean, he still he still has it in him. It's just uh, a lot of the, this transition and the, the ship neck stuff came out last year really took it out of him, and hopefully. Maybe a calendar year, maybe time is healing some of his wounds, and uh, he can show up at Augusta with his game face on and uh, maybe spark a little bit of magic that we haven't seen in a little bit. No doubt about it. We will circle back and give our live picks later on in the show and our Valspar picks later on in the show, but it's time to take a break here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. Uh, And then after the break, we're going to give you guys a college golf update And just a little secret here, so stay tuned. Cowboys fans, you're going to be excited. So stay with us here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And T-Dub, it's time to talk some college golf. And OU and OSU were both in action over this past week in Tucson, Arizona at the same time as the live golf event and at Arizona's tournament a lot of times you see the home team win and and Arizona does win at the NIT uh in Tucson they end up uh 
shooting 840 for the three rounds uh, as a team and uh, win by one shot over Pepperdine. By the way, William Mao um, and Derek Hitchner are still at Pepperdine somehow. It's like their 10th year at Pepperdine. I have no idea how they're still in college, but William Mao does uh, finish solo third. Zach Pollo of Arizona, the five-man for Arizona, ends up winning the golf tournament. Uh, and so that's interesting. It, you, a lot of times in college golf, you rarely get home games. And so when you do have a home game, you got to, it's a bigger home field advantage than any other sport because you know the golf course, you qualify on it every day, you play on it every day. So yeah, Arizona uh, does win the golf tournament. Impressive win considering the field. However, I take some other things out of this tournament, like Pepperdine playing well. That's something to look for once we get into regionals and national championship time. They have the experience. I also look at Arizona State, another team that has experience, obviously lost David Pooge to the Live Tour. Um, he's not going to be there from last year's team, but guys like Preston Summerhays, really good players, even Riggs Johnston, who didn't have his best event, finished tied for 37th in Tucson this week, but he's a really solid player for Arizona State as well. And then Luke Potter, look out for those names as we lead into the NCAA tournament. And then Illinois, who won a couple weeks ago uh, at the tournament that OSU was at, uh, they finished tied for fourth. And then right there, tied for fourth, is Oklahoma State. And we've kind of been waiting on them to kind of all have it click on the same week. And obviously, Rasmus Nearguard-Peterson has been dealing with some injuries. They had to play their last tournament with four guys. Little Hoosiers action, only four guys in a five-man sport. But it's going to be interesting to see how this team kind of comes together coming down the stretch. They need guys like Jonas Baumgartner and Rasmus Nearguard-Peterson to really carry this team uh, two victories because I, I mean they're they're four three four and five bag Bo Jen obviously a name that you might remember from national championship two years ago when he had a chance to win he's played really up and down this year uh, you have Hazen Newman um, who is a name that I'm not super familiar with he's been uh, a, an, an an individual for Oklahoma State uh, in, in a few tournaments this uh, over this past year he ends up getting the start this week as the four-man and finishes tied for 52nd. But Leo Oyo is a name that I'm familiar with, and he was in the starting five at times last year, um, but then, you know, kind of lost his form in the fall season this year, and he's playing some better golf. A tie for 20th this week for a five-man, that's really solid play. 75, 70, 68, getting better every day. That's something that Alan Bratton has to be happy with. Um, but for Oklahoma State to go out and beat teams like a Southern California, a Florida, a Colorado State who has played some solid golf at times this year, and Oklahoma who finished tied for ninth, we'll get to them in a second. But I wanted to start with Oklahoma State because it's the first time this year, T-Dub, that I've really seen them kind of show glimpses of what they could be. And I think that if Oklahoma State peaks at the right time this year they are still Oklahoma State and they those guys were recruited to Oklahoma State for a reason they're big time players they just have to all have a click on the same week and after losing Eugenio Lopez Chikara to live and after losing Brian Stark and after dealing with the injury problems that they've had it's been a tough go but it seems like now is the time for them to start playing better golf 
and they are T-Dub. I think they're what? They're, they're the 22nd ranked team in the country right now. I only see that going up from here leading up to regionals, T-Dub. I think you're absolutely right, Sam. I mean, it just ended up being a loaded top tournament. I mean, there were five teams within three shots of the lead. I mean, it was just an epic shootout. Coming down the stretch, it would have been uh, pretty great to watch. OSU played one of the best final rounds of anyone. Only Pepperdine beat him. Pepperdine shot 18-under, but OSU carded a 14-under, 274 in the final round. Very impressive to, to get them, uh, vault them up even a little bit. But, yeah, you're exactly right. With all, seems like their players need to all be playing a little bit better. They had Jonas Baumgartner finished seventh, so he finished in the top ten. Then they had three other guys finish in the top 27s in, in a very loaded field. So I think that is a very, very promising sign for them going forward. It'll be interesting to see, Sam, because, like I said, they shot 14-under. They kind of moved their way up to finish uh, – tied fourth. Be interesting to see with the, their few tournaments left if they get up. Let's say they have the lead after the first round, the second round, and then they have to kind of sleep on that overnight and then go into the final round with the lead. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to play as well on that Sunday as they were yesterday Sunday where they're coming a little bit back from behind. No doubt about it. Then let's talk about the Sooners, P-Dub, because it's interesting. It's almost like same or different week, same results for the Oklahoma Sooners. They go with a different lineup this week. They go with uh, Patrick Welch, the cross-handed bandit, um, and then they go with Drew Goodman as their two-bag. Matthew Troutman, who obviously had some great qualifier back at home because he's a freshman who hasn't played. He made his debut. And let's talk about him because, he, boy, did he make a debut. He shot eight under in his first ever college round uh, at the NIT this week. In the first round, he shoots a 64 and then shoots one under in the second round. So he was nine under par for the golf tournament with the lead headed into the final round and shoots three over uh, in the final round. Ends up six, six under for the golf tournament and tied for 10. So it's still a great finish for the freshman, Matthew Troutman. Big shout out to him. And then Drew Goodman, obviously uh, one of OU's better players was kind of the young guy on the squad last year with Goddard up and McAllister. Now he's kind of taking more of a veteran role on that team. Shoots a 69 in the first round, but then follows it up with two 73s. Patrick Welch shot a 76 in the first round, uh, then a 71-74. Jackson Dow, uh, who is from Oklahoma, got the five-man start. Uh, this week tied for 69 not his best not his best uh, showing either and so when I look at OU ironically when you look at the individual leaderboard for the golf tournament if you don't understand college golf by the way you bring individuals as well they just don't count towards the team score Stephen Campbell Jr. who is normally in the top five maybe Hibble was trying to send him a message and it worked because Stephen Campbell Jr. finishes tied for fourth in the golf tournament finished to shoot 207 for three rounds, 66 in the final round. His score doesn't count for the team. Ben Lorenz finishes top 10 for the golf tournament, three straight 70s, extremely consistent golf, 210 for the golf tournament, six under. Uh, and, I mean, T-Dub, it's one of those situations where they don't have the right guys clicking and the individuals keep beating the guys that Hibble is putting in the starting five is this actually becoming a problem? I, I told Hibble, you know, when we had him on, that that's a good problem to have, but eventually they're going to have to start finding that right lineup that can actually, you know, play consistent golf and not just have these guys, you know, being individuals in the golf tournament, beating the guys on the starting five. I think it actually is becoming a problem, and, it, and it's probably making Hibble's head spin saying, I mean, I don't know who's going to play good this week. The problem is not 
Hibble setting the lineup. The problem is OU's guys are playing very inconsistent golf, and clearly at home, they're not qualifying very well as far as the guys on the starting five. Well, it's the inconsistency that you're talking about, Sam. Yeah, as Matthew Troutman, great first round 64. But, for example, they still had to take a 75 because they had a 75 and a 76 card. And, you know, just as well as I do, Sam, in college golf, you're only as strong as, as your weakest link, especially for that week. And so, for example, they had to take a 75 in the first round. They had to take a 74 in the second round. And they had to take another 74 in, in the third round. So, I mean, it's just that they had one guy not play very good. Then the, then the rest of the guys weren't able to pick it up. And their number one player, Patrick Welch, shot 76, 71, 74. When you have your what should be your best player not have a very good week like that, it's really hard to have any success. But going back to what you're talking about with the individual things, Sam, I mean, yeah, when you take three individuals and two of them finish inside of the top ten, it, it definitely makes a point. Maybe Hibble was trying to make a point, get those get those guys out there to make a make a little bit of a statement. But uh, I mean, he's not going to bench Patrick Welch, who who was one of the worst this week. So I mean, you you got to throw some other guys out there. You, you would assume you're not going to take Troutman out. He just finished inside the top ten and shot 64. So and, and Goodman's been playing so well. He did only finish. 37. He finished 73-73 the last two rounds. So, yeah, Hibble's got his work cut out for him, Sam. But uh, I, I think hopefully it'll become a little bit more clear because as tournaments go on later down the year, you don't take as many individuals. So, like, now, it, like, if you didn't take any individuals, we just would have thought they played bad, right? Because they didn't have a comparison. But because whenever you have that, now there is some questions there as to who you're going to throw in the top five. And I'm very, very intrigued to see what OU's top five is at their next tournament. Me too. And P-Dub, I don't think the rankings are going to change very much for OU. I, I think that, you know, obviously Pepperdine, Arizona State, Illinois, were all ranked ahead of them already. Arizona winning at their home course is impressive, but it's their home course. Um, so, and then Florida, obviously ranked ahead of OU still as well, sitting there 12th and OU's 13th. So I don't expect their ranking to drop that much, but I think that OSU's ranking could rise uh, here in the in the next uh, golf stat rankings coming up on Monday. T Dub, we got to hit a break here on the seventy third hole radio show. If you want to weigh in, four zero five nine hundred WWLS, and we will get you in right after the break here on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. When I did meet Shooter McGavin before, actually, and yeah, if you ask me, he's the number one most professional golf guy I ever met. Shooter. <laughs> And then the Masters, they do a champion's dinner where the champion gets to pick his menu. If you could do that, what menu? What would your menu be? My menu would be cheeseburgers, chicken finger subs, uh, buffalo wings with blue cheese on the side, and, of course, my lovely ice shaker right here with an ice-cold beverage inside. Just getting a little tipsy at all times, baby. There it is. is that what you meant by menu? Like yeah. food? Yep. It's what else would you mean by menu? That is the voice of Rob Gronkowski. Gronk with an all-time quote. He was at the, the Valspar Pro-Am over this past week, and he was talking about what he would have at the champion's dinner if he won the Masters. And uh, speaking of that, T-Dub, Scotty Scheffler had his champion's dinner menu come out over this past week. And interestingly enough, in 2020, Scotty was asked if he were ever to win the Masters, what we could expect to see on the champion's dinner menu. He said, quote, I don't know. I like food. So I got a lot of stuff, cheeseburgers, some steaks, stuff like that. Well, that's exactly what we got on this Masters champion's dinner menu for Scotty Scheffler. And it's 
probably the best menu that I've ever seen. PW. He has cheeseburger sliders served Scotty style. I'm not exactly sure what Scotty style means. I'm maybe thinking that it's an in and out type of uh, type of style there for the sliders. That's just the warm up. You also have the firecracker shrimp, uh, sweet Thai chili, and sriracha mayo. Uh, that sounds pretty good. And then he has the tortilla soup with avocado, crispy blue tortilla strips. Sour cream, cilantro, and lime. That sounds big time as well. Then we get to the main course, which is the Texas ribeye steak or the blackened red fish. I would definitely be going with the Texas ribeye steak right there. And his sides are family style mac and cheese with jalapeno creamed corn, some fried Brussels sprouts, and seasoned fries. That is just big time sides there from Scotty Scheffler. And you top it all off with warm chocolate chip skillet cookies with milk and cookies ice cream served in honor of Mr. Scotty Scheffler. T-Dub. This is the greatest Masters Champions dinner menu of all time. Maybe it's because he's from Dallas, we're from Oklahoma, we like the same type of food. But T-Dub, I don't know how you top this. If I were Scotty Scheffler, if I were ever going to make a menu of my favorite foods, I might just copy Scotty Scheffler. I mean, it's a very, very strong menu. I mean, there's literally no doubt about it. I mean, like you said, I'm curious to see what the Scotty style is. I want to know what that entails on the cheeseburger sliders because that could make or break it. The firecracker shrimp, one of the best things on the menu, in my opinion. I mean, the sweet Thai chili and sriracha mayo. I mean, that just sounds... Absolutely bomb. Could have probably. Now, done... what is sweet Thai chili? I, I I've never even heard of that. Is it's, it just normal chili or is it different type of chili? It's very similar to like if you anyone who goes to Buffalo Wild Wings, it's kind of like the Asian zing sauce. It's like a spicy sweet ah. uh, Asian. So yeah, it, it goes really really good with shrimp and, and chicken uh, uh, for that matter. But uh, maybe could have done a little bit better with the tortilla soup. Tortilla, tortilla soup's not bad, but this one has avocado in. I'm not a big avocado guy, so we can maybe change that. <laughs> Uh, one of my biggest complaints, though, is that the Texas ribeye steak or the black and redfish. Well, what if I want both, Sam? Can I, can I get both? Is that an option? I guarantee you if Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas said, can I get both, they're getting both. And I'm pretty sure at Augusta National, if you ask for something inside that clubhouse, if you're ever lucky enough to get inside that clubhouse, you get what you ask for, T-Dub, at Augusta National. It's Augusta National. It's heaven on earth. You would have to think that would be the scenario that that would take place. And then the sides, I think you mentioned the sides are, are, are top-notch, the family-style mac and cheese. But does exactly like to see what family-style means? Maybe it's got some crumbs in there. And, and obviously the type of noodle you use could be make or break. Uh, the fried Brussels sprouts and the seasoned fries are very good. And the jalapeno cream corn may be the best, Sam. But uh, if, you, if, you, if you're going to play early Wednesday morning in a practice round after eating a lot of jalapeno cream <laughs> corn the night before, you might have a rough practice round in part three contest. You might. Yeah, you might not only uh, – I mean, it is Augusta National, so we got to be kind of PC here, but you might want to bring some, like, Boudreaux's butt paste and, and some baby powder with you to that round. Um, but T-Dub, I mean, if you were ever, you know, lucky enough to win the Masters and you had to create a champion's dinner menu – and by the way, I want – the people out here to weigh in on this 405-900-WWLS 405-900-9957 hit the lucky star line hit the trade pros heat and air text nation line what would you have on your champions dinner menu and what did you think of scotty scheffler's 
We love Scotty Scheffler's menu here, but T-Dub, what would you have on your menu? Because mine, like I just said, would be extremely similar to whatever Scotty Scheffler put on his. Well, it's very similar to what, what Scotty Scheffler said, where it's like, I, I just like food. I have a lot to think about here. And that's kind of where I'm at in this scenario as well. I've gone back and I've tried to look at some old Champions Dinner menus to see some, like uh, Danny Willett serves Sunday roast of prime rib. That sounds uh, pretty good. But, yeah, you see some a lot of foreigners kind of do some unique things, so maybe would steer away from some of those. Uh, Jordan Spieth had the, the Texas-style barbecue brisket with the smoked chicken pork ribs. That's not bad, but... I think I would have to go with the ribeye or maybe the prime rib. Same, essentially the same thing, just cooked a little differently. So we'd probably have to go on, on that track. But as far as it comes to desserts, we haven't even really talked about the dessert. The warm chocolate chip skillet cookie. I mean, does it get any better than that? That's big time. The, 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 the swarm soft cookie. And then you put on like two or three scoops of the extremely cold vanilla ice cream. And it looks like this may even be a, like a cookies and cream type of ice cream. I cookies mean, it's, and cream ice cream on top of the cookie. I mean, you don't get any better than that. T-Dub, the only thing that I would change about this is I would have the 10-ounce filet from Charleston's on my menu. I don't want Augusta National to cook it. I want whoever is cooking the food at Charleston's to come in and, and cook those steaks because, I, I mean, they're the best for the best price in Oklahoma City. By the way, no free ads, but I'm giving a free ad to Charleston's just because I love the steak so much, T-Dub, but go ahead. It, it, it is a good steak. There's no doubt about it. Dustin Johnson, his champion's dinner, he had a, a prime filet mignon with mashed potatoes and spring vegetables. Or you could have the marinated sea bass. That sounds pretty good. His dessert was a peach cobbler apple pie with some vanilla ice cream. So that sounds good. How about what, what did Tiger serve in, at his most recent champion's dinner? We have a main course of pride and steak. I'm not sure about the most. Go ahead. Oh, you have it right there. I do, I do have it right here. Yeah, it's a, a main course of prime steak, chicken fajitas, grilled vegetables, refried beans, Mexican rice. So it seems like it was a fajita type of style. He had a trio of desserts, cl- classy fan churros with chocolate sauce and sopapillas. So, yeah, definitely on the, the Mexican vibe there. His, his appetizer was a gusto roll with tempura shrimp, spicy tuna, avocado, eel sauce, tempura flakes, pickled ginger, wasabi, and soy sauce. I, I think we can get a better That's appetizer. You think that's good, Sam? No, that's big time. I, I love sushi. That is that is absolutely big time. Preston Poole, I mean, you got to weigh in here. Obviously, not the biggest golf fan, but I guarantee you Preston Poole is a big food fan. What would he have on his champion's dinner menu? Uh, so I kind of like what the way Scotty was going with his, but instead of steak and the redfish, I would probably go with a, a chicken fried steak and maybe some catfish. <laughs> chicken fried steak. Could you imagine those Europe? at the Masters Championship dinner, Champions Dinner, eating chicken fried steak. I like the way you're thinking. And by the way, what what dessert? What dessert are you going with? Oh, maybe instead of like the skillet cookie, like a skillet brownie or something like that with like the ice that. cream. Yeah, with the ice cream. And anytime you put ice cream on something warm, it's just delightful. Uh, I think we're all on the right track here. There's another aspect, though, guys, to this Champions Dinner this year. Um, by the way, I mean, Bubba Watson was asked about it. We're about to hear from Sergio Garcia what his thoughts are because there could be some awkwardness between live players and the PGA Tour players. But in my opinion, from what I've heard from PGA Tour players and live players, is that this is a lot of this is a media driven deal where, yes, they disagree with each other on where professional golf should go, but there's not personal animosity between everybody there's personal animosity between guys like Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed or Phil Mickelson and some guys but 
it's not necessarily going to be uh, some really awkward dinner, apparently. Let's hear from Sergio Garcia on his thoughts. I don't know. You have to ask whoever is going to feel awkward. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm gonna feel fine. Uh, I mean, I. I don't have any problems with anyone, and uh, I try not to uh, make make a big deal out of it. So um, you know, I'm. I'm gonna be there because because I earned it, because I I deserve it, and I'm gonna enjoy it. And uh, you know, I hope the the rest of the guys do the same. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, and Bubba Watson kind of shared the same sentiment. Bubba Watson also added that he normally eats two burritos before going to the champion's dinner because he doesn't know what's going to be served. I thought that was an interesting tidbit that he added along with that. But talking about it being awkward, T-Dub, I think the only thing that would make it awkward would Rory McIlroy being there. But he doesn't have a green jacket, T-Dub, if I'm not mistaken. No, Rory. That's the last thing Rory has to worry about is the champions dinner. No, no. That he, he's he, he's no he's going to be nowhere to be seen. He walks up, they're going to kick him out. And it's funny because you said Rory Reed. If they're well, Reed has a green jacket, so he's going to be there. But Rory isn't, so that's pretty funny. But yeah, you think about the guys who who would make it awkward. So what? There's six players, right? I may be missing someone, but yeah, Bubba, R- Patrick Reed, Phil, Dustin Johnson, Sergio, and, and Charles Schwartzel. I mean, I mean, I guess maybe some people are really have a lot of animosity against Phil. Maybe so, but I mean, even Jordan Spieth came out and said him and DJ are still boys. So I mean, I don't think there's going to be anything. Let's that, be honest. The guy that would make it awkward would be Patrick Reed. You you would think that that would have to be what the issue that would transpire. But even then, it's just like okay, just kind of sit over there and just be a little quiet. You know, like like whenever he speaks, you know, everyone will kind of just like look around the room and and act like. There's some fairy dust being spewed. Whatever you want to phrase it. But, no, I don't think it's going to be that awkward in all opinion. And if it does get awkward, I don't think we'll even know about it anyway because they're so they're so tight and it's probably going to come out that uh, you'll have some people who may start some rumors like, oh, so-and-so, they were bickering or it was awkward here or there. I, I'm not, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it'll be just fine. And, and, and if there was animosity, Sam would be disrespectful to Augusta, the Champions Dinner, the most lucrative deal that you could get into in the history of golf. So, I mean, if you want to bring some animosity to that, I think it would be an absolute disgrace i totally agree and obviously i agree with the live guys on where the the direction of professional golf should go um and how it has helped professional golf over the past couple years but you got to pick your time and your place like you just said it would be disrespectful to augusta national which is basically like golf version of of church t-dub i mean you go in there and you be respectful you know and i don't see any of those guys crossing those lines and kind of arguing or bickering with each other at the champions dinner, right? You would sure hope not. That that's uh that would be the last thing that would need to happen. Like I said, it would be it would be shameful to not just the game of golf, but the history and tradition of Augusta National the game in the game because as you mentioned, there's there's so much that's been there. It's like it's like church in a sense. You put on your Sunday best and uh you, you act on your best behavior and you be respectful to everyone there because you all have something in common. You all won the Masters tournament at some point. That doesn't make it someone shouldn't be better than the other one. You're all there for the exact same reason. So no, I I think everything's gonna be just fine and as as you mentioned, I think a lot of it is the media just kind of blowing it out of proportions. No doubt about it, but it is going to be interesting to see at Augusta National. By the way, we have an announcement that we announced on our podcast last week. We will both be live at Augusta National this year. We will be in Augusta, Georgia, giving you guys content for the 73rd hole radio show and the 73rd hole podcast. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast go on apple and it's it you follow on apple podcast now they change that and then you subscribe on 
Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcast, thesportsanimal.com, golfoklahoma.org. We're right there on the front page and the podcast page, respectively, and it's absolutely free. It just helps us out and gives you a notification when we drop a new episode. So definitely go subscribe to the 73rd Hole podcast. We're coming back after the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf. And after the break, we're going to talk player caddy feud. So stay tuned here on the 73rd Hole radio show on the Sports Animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole radio show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. T-Dub, we do have some Champions Tour golf to talk about because Bernard Longer is still getting it done. Bernard Longer shot a 64 yesterday, which means that he has now broken his age on the Champions Tour an incredible nine times, T-Dub. He is 12 under for the golf tournament at the Hogue Classic. Scott Verplank of Oklahoma did shoot one over yesterday's four under for the golf tournament um, at the Hope Classic in Newport Beach, uh, California. But like I said, Bernard Longer breaking his age nine times in tournament golf, not just going out and playing a hit and giggle, but in tournament golf, breaking your age nine times has to be one of the craziest records I've ever seen. That has to be some sort of record, right? I mean, Let's put aside the fact that Bernard Longer cheats on every single putt that he hits because I still think he's anchoring. It's still impressive, T-Dub. Oh, there's no, absolutely no doubt it's impressive. I mean, he's 65 years old and, and still going out and gaming like he does. It's truly unbelievable. I remember watching him at uh, the, the Senior PGA Championship of a Southern 2021, and what amazed me was that he only hit it about – 15 feet off the ground. I mean, every single shot was so low and running. Is one of the reasons why he didn't play very well that week at Southern Hills. He couldn't fly shots onto the green, and when he could, he couldn't hold the greens. But when you get on courses that, that suit that more of style where you can run shots up because every single shot he hits is dead straight every single time, and his chipping is it, so immaculate even to this day. It's truly crazy to see, and you just expect to see maybe at some point Barnard will, will start to fall off a little bit and not have his best stuff, but... Uh, I mean, he's the absolute Ironman. He might be able to go until he's 75 years old, Sam, at this rate. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And obviously, on the Champions Tour, it's interesting that these guys can keep their games in shape and keep their bodies in shape for, for that long of period of time. I mean, even guys like Fred Couples or the mechanic, Miguel Angel Jimenez up there on that leaderboard at the Hogue Classic as well. It's really impressive to watch those Champions Tour guys play as well as they do t-dub i gotta talk to you about a situation that happened yesterday matt wallace of england uh he is five under for the golf tournament at the valspar championship tied for seventh along with wyndham clark and Patton kazire and um but anyways so t-dub yesterday matt wallace gets into it with his caddy over a shot that he, he hit off the cart path and then just lays into his caddy, basically blaming him for hitting the wrong club. And I hate this, T-Dub. Number one, he told his caddy to STFU, and I can, I'll let you guys figure out what that means. But T-Dub, I ne- I've never understood players getting upset with a caddy over club selection. In my opinion, and every instance that I've ever had a caddy or or witnessed, you know, top level players interact with their caddy. It should be the player's decision and have the final decision 
it, it's on the player to have the final decision, T-Dub. I don't understand when guys get upset with their caddy over a club selection. I've never understood that. And T-Dub, maybe you have some stories of, of some caddy player interactions you've seen as well. But Matt Wallace laying into his caddy, telling his caddy to STFU on the golf course. I'm surprised they finished the round together. Yeah, it, it is pretty pretty crazy. I believe that, that shot off the cart path may have been on the 18th hole, so that might have been how they were able to finish. But but what it comes down to is is that he, he was just he was just frustrated and and wants to blame the caddy, not able to take any ownership in himself. That's one thing, at least about Terrell Hatton, like that we've seen. It, like he complains all the time, right? But most of the time, he's mad at himself or he's mad at a bump in the green. He, he's not over there yelling at the caddy saying that he messed up because, like you said, if you want to. If you want to hit a different club, hit a different club. Literally just grab that club and hit it. I mean, there's maybe some exceptions if you're 290 yards out in the trees and you're trying to hit a three-wood through this gap 80 feet high or something, okay? I mean, there's there's exceptions to the rule. But situations like this, from what I've seen, no, it doesn't need to. And going back and reading an article, apparently – this, this happened to Matt Wallace back at the 2019 BMW International uh, over on the DP World Tour where he got into it with this caddy. I'm unaware if it's the exact same caddy. It very well could be. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's this is a common trend for old Matt Wallace who, who seems to be an overall not, not really known as a, as a hothead by any stretch from what I've seen. But, uh, yeah, it seems like that uh, he was just a little upset about the situation uh, of having hit off the car path and he decided to take it out on the caddy. I don't agree with it, but uh, but you're exactly right. I've seen some some caddy interactions, uh, player caddy interactions that have gone bad. I've seen fists thrown before. I mean, it's, uh, it can get pretty intense out there whenever there's a disagreement. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it, it comes down to the player, right? The player has to make the decision and go from there. The caddy is there for advice and to keep you in check on certain situations. And I don't think this is a situation where the caddy necessarily needed to keep Matt Wallace particularly in check. So I think he should take ownership. Every time something like this happens, we heard Gronk talking about Shooter earlier. I always think of the quote from Happy Gilmore, nine iron, huh? You're fired. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I, I always wonder, you know, those certain interactions between players and caddies. I mean, we've seen certain interactions like with Bubba and Ted Scott at the Travelers probably a decade ago now or, uh, my man, Rian Gibson, did throw his head cover at his caddy one time, and then the next week, uh, the other guys on the on the PGA Tour uh, kind of put a caution tape around Rian's bag and said, watch out for Rian. Rian's a great guy, but it's, it's tough out there. It's stressful, and these guys are playing for hundreds of thousands and now millions of dollars. It is stressful, um, but play off the caddy. It's not the caddy's final decision. It's your final decision. Uh, when you are selecting a club, T-Dub. Let's get to the odds for the Valspar today. Jordan Spieth is your favorite uh, live right now before the final round at plus 280. Tommy Fleetwood at plus 360. Adam Shank with the one-shot lead uh, is actually plus 400. That's pretty good value for a guy that's in the lead of the golf tournament, but Vegas is clearly telling you that they don't think that Adam Shank is going to win the golf tournament. And then our man Taylor Moore at plus 900 uh, right there as the fifth favorite at the Valspar. Who do you think the best bet is today uh, to win at Innisbrook? I think the best bet without a doubt is Taylor Moore. I, I think that his time is now, he, he's been proven over the course of this last year and a half. He made the top 70 last year in his very first year 
Adam Turner's been playing well to start this year. I think his time is now. I think it's coming. At 9-1, to one too, I think that's exceptional odds. He's got, a, according to the analytics, a 9.1% chance to win. Someone like Jordan Spieth has, has a 23% chance. Adam Shank, Tommy Fleetwood are both around 19 and 17%. So the analytics haven't really favored those three guys. But I think T. Moore's going to come out and make a good run. It was, as we alluded to in the first segment, he know, he's going to be able to understand these conditions. The wind's picking up playing in Oklahoma and Arkansas for so long. The, the, the winning score probability is right around about 9 under, maybe 8 under, somewhere 8.5, something along those lines. So th- these guys are not going to go out and run away from it. So him at 6 under, if he could go out and shoot a 3 under round, which would be an exceptional round of golf in these conditions on a difficult golf course. But I expect that it's there, and like I said, I think he's – He's put in his time and done the things he's needed to. I think he's going to be up there unless Jordan Spieth just comes out and does some miraculous stuff, which wouldn't necessarily shock me one bit. But uh, as we also mentioned in the first segment, what we saw at Bay Hill, if he's not able to make the putts down the stretch, I think that may be uh, Spieth's downfall. So I think by far the best uh, value with those odds, same as Taylor Moore at at plus 900. No, you make some great points on Taylor Moore. He's won at every single level, whether it be junior golf, or high school golf. I mean, unfortunately, I have a Taylor Moore story that my first ever regionals in high school, I come in the clubhouse, obviously, it's a shotgun start in high school. And, uh, you know, I was tied with Taylor Moore after the first round. I get in and it's a really cold day out at Oak Tree East and in regionals in high school. And I, I shoot like, I don't know, one or two over in the second round. I think I might have a good chance to win the golf tournament. I get in the clubhouse, T-Dub, and I, I finish second. But I lost by 10 shots. Taylor Moore shot 74-64, won the golf tournament by 10 shots. He's won at every single level. Going on to college, he won. Uh, Even dealing with the stuff that he dealt with in college and then uh, still went on to overcome that and win in college and then win on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's going to win on the PGA Tour. And I agree with you. This is a great opportunity this week to kind of break through and let everyone know around the country who Taylor Moore actually is. I'll be rooting for my man, T. Moore, this week. Do you have any other Taylor Moore stories that you might be able to share with the people? I have one very in particular. We were playing the OJGT Tour Championship up at Paige Belcher. I believe I was 13 or 14 years old, somewhere along those lines. And we were kind of, me, him, and Charlie Saxon were all kind of battling it out. It was kind of a three-horse race. And towards the end, it came down to be me me and Taylor Moore. And I remember I had a two-shot lead w- with two holes left. And the 17th hole, I can't remember which course at Paige Belcher we were playing, but it was a par five. And, and Taylor had like a 50-footer for birdie. And I had I had somehow had about an eight-footer for par or something like that. And, and so I'm thinking at the time, okay, well, this is going to be great. I'm going to gain some shots here, you know, or worst-case scenario, I should break even. And... Taylor just comes out and makes this 50-footer on me, does this huge fist pump, and then I go on to miss my putt. So then there was a swing there, and then on the last hole, I end up missing, I believe, a pretty short putt, about a four- or five-footer for for par, and Taylor had already made a par. So I, I kind of came, kind of fell down a little bit down the stretch, but Taylor Moore also made a miraculous putt on me. So uh, I don't feel as bad now knowing that uh, he's on his way to more than likely winning on the PJ Tour sometime soon. It makes that story a little bit easier to tell. No doubt about it. And the thing about Taylor Moore, too, is that he's an absolute athlete, was a great basketball player, great baseball player growing up. Obviously, his dad coached baseball as well. So he's a more athletic guy than you normally see on the PGA Tour. And I think that that'll do him some good. Uh, You know, as he gets older, he will be more athletic than a lot of these guys um, out on the PGA Tour. I'm really looking forward to seeing 
Taylor Moore's growth on the PGA Tour. Let's get to Live Golf Tucson and the odds there. T-Dub Mark Leishman is your live favorite at plus 150. Sergio Garcia at plus 450. Charles Howe III at plus 650. Brendan Steele at plus 750. And Louis Oosthuizen at plus 800. Uh, then it drops off to guys like Matthew Wolf at plus 1400 along with Cameron Tringali. But T-Dub, looking at that individual leaderboard at Live Golf Tucson, there's still a lot of guys that are in this golf tournament. It, the, the Gallery Golf Club is too hard of a golf course for a guy to just run away and leave the field like Mark Leishman technically could do being two shots ahead headed into the final round. But I see this being a little bit more of a dogfight than Vegas sees it. Um, you know, Sergio Garcia, only two shots back. Obviously, he has the minerals to get it done. Charles Howell III coming off his victory at Live Mayakoba. He definitely has the minerals to get it done. We've seen Louis Oosthuizen in big moments. But like I said, guys like Matthew Wolf at plus 1,400, minus seven. I mean, that's not too big of a comeback. I would give the minus sevens a chance. Uh, to actually win the golf tournament, I, I would say the minus fives there. There's no one at minus six, but the minus fives are probably out of it. But I would still give a guy like Matthew Wolf or a Kevin Na uh, at seven under a chance to win the golf tournament. Uh, who do you like and what do you think is the best bet this week? I think that, in my opinion, I kind of like Louis Oosthuizen to win today. At three shots back, headed into the final round. Seems like he's playing some better golf than he's played in a long time feels like he's rolling a little bit. I would probably bet on Louis Eustazen, but if I wanted to take a long shot, maybe throw some money on a Matthew Wolf. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on about the seven under mark being where it cuts off. I don't see the – unless Leishman just comes way back down the pack and one of these guys at five under shoots a five or six under round today, which I guess is is possible, but I think there's too many moving parts there that need to take place. I find it funny that neither one of us are really extremely high on Mark Leishman, who does have a two-shot lead and has been playing pretty well. I, I, I'm I not the biggest high on Louie. I think Louie's going to play well, but I wouldn't predict him to win. I, I think Sergio's going to actually end up coming out and winning this tournament because him and the the, the fireballs are up there. They currently have the lead in the team competition, so he's going to be motivated on that aspect as well. And from what I've seen of Sergio, I think he is playing some really good golf. And, and our, our man Charles House, Sam, I mean, he went out and shot a bogey-free six under yesterday. If he does that again, then he's going to have a great chance to win back-to-back live events, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that hasn't happened yet. So uh, that would be a, a really cool mark to come out and be able to do that. Uh, Cameron Tringali, Brendan Steele, I, I'm, I would be fairly shocked if either one of them actually came out and won. And all the guys at seven under, you have Danny Lee, Matthew Wolf, and Kevin Na. I think you're 100% right that Matt Wolf has the best chance out of those guys to come out and win it. So, yeah, I think on value, just off that, I'd probably go with Sergio and Matt Wolf. But even just one of the reasons we're not just not giving them enough credit, but I still think Mark Leishman, at least right now with the two-shot lead, is the favorite to win this tournament. The only thing that worried me a little bit yesterday about Mark Leishman was his ball striking wasn't really that sharp early in the round and then he had the chip in at one he had the great bunker shots at like four and five and so to me I think that Mark Leishman you know needs to hit fairways and hit greens early and kind of settle into that round you can't rely on your short game uh under pressure it just doesn't it's not the same as a round two you know what I mean when you're in contention that would worry me a little bit but I do think Mark Leishman has a great chance to win the golf tournament, obviously, up by two shots. And then the team aspect, the fireballs are one shot ahead of the high flyers. Bill, Bill team and Cameron Tringali and Brendan Steele, obviously the fireballs, by the way, who are in the lead are the Latino team 
of Eugenio Lopez, Chikara, Avancer, Carlos Ortiz, and Sergio Garcia. Um, so I would assume you're probably saying if you think that Sergio is going to win individually, you probably think the fireballs are going to win. Uh, but watch out for a lot of teams because, I mean, they're 22 under, even teams like Ripper are 17 under, Stinger are 15 under, and things can change when you're counting three scores. I I mean, man, if, if a guy like a Cam Smith could go out there and fire like a 65, Team Ripper probably wins considering how well Mark Leishman is playing. And our man Matt Jones is actually playing some solid golf this week as well. Uh, you know, yesterday shooting uh, 67 at the Gallery Golf Club, T-Dub. Who do you like for the team event at Live Tucson? I do like the Fireballs. They are winning, and they do have, like you said, the one-shot lead over the High Flyers. I, I do not expect the High Flyers to win or really even finish second. I think they're going to come a little bit back in the pack today. I think the Ripper Ripper team, the Australian team, being only in third place, only five back, may help Leishman in the individual contest because he's not going to be playing super passive just trying to keep that lead. He's going to still want to go out and try to make some birdies for the team to push them up there. So, And then, obviously, you have the Cam Smith aspect. He can come out and play good at any time, really hasn't been playing particularly well this week. I believe he's what down there at one under tied for 34, so not Cam Smith best of. I actually thought he would have a lot better week going into this week. But uh, but yeah, I, I would definitely stick with the fireball, Sam. I think they're the favorite. I do think there will be some movement in the in the top three, though. I do expect the high flyers to probably come back a little bit more down to earth. And maybe if, even if Ripper doesn't have the best chance, Stinger could potentially move up. The Ironheads are right there. Or even the Crushers, who won the first event. If Charles Al can go out does some of his good stuff, you get Paul Casey, Lahiri, or, or DeChambeau to just throw a couple of decent rounds out there, I think they could definitely move up. So I do expect the Fireballs to keep their, their lead at first, but I do expect some volatility in the other two and, th- and three spots. Yeah, Chucky 3-6 back probably hurts after trying to carry Bryson DeChambeau around for two tournaments. We're going to talk about Bryson DeChambeau coming up here after the break. You are listening to the 73rd Hole Podcast. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you for one more segment after this. Stay tuned. We're talking Bryson. We're talking DJ. After the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the sports animal. And we are back for one final segment here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. T-Dub, I want to talk about some guys that have been disappointing on the Live Golf Tour. One, Bryson DeChambeau, T-Dub. What has gone wrong with Bryson? Obviously had the hand injury last year really struggled after having that injury. And then this year so far on live, I mean, he tied or was solo 24th at live golf. Mayakoba, he missed the cut at the Saudi international lost over five shots on the field uh, at the Saudi international and still has never had a better finish than a tied for eighth on the live golf tour. T-Dub. Are we ever going to see Bryson DeChambeau, uh, at the elite level that he was at before that injury, apparently injured his hand playing ping pong. I don't believe that. I think that his body, T-Dub, has broken down on him. And I'm not saying that Bryson DeChambeau was necessarily juicing or doing anything illegal, but I do think when he gained all of that weight to try to gain this power, not only for the PGA Tour uh, when he did it, but also for the long drive stuff, I think that he was taking stuff that might not have necessarily been good for his body or good for his golf game 
And the more I see Bryson DeChambeau now, his body just looks like it's almost breaking down on him. And the short game doesn't look even close to what it was when he was rolling everything in at Wingfoot. A lot of people made a big deal about how he was taking it over corners when he won the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. But the key was he was the best putter on the PGA Tour during that stretch. And now he isn't even close to that. He's five over for the golf tournament at Live Golf Tucson and only beating two guys in the field. Bryson DeChambeau is a guy that I just can't figure out. T-Dub, the only thing that I have seen is maybe the body is starting to break down and maybe it wasn't such a great idea to try to gain all of this distance. Well, it could be a situation where maybe he did hurt it playing ping pong or whatever he's trying to say, but that but that's not the reason. It's because of all the the all the hardship that he put on his wrists leading up before that. I mean, you you put heavy weights, everyone thinks about the muscles in your back in particular, but when if you're doing bench press, right, all the pressure you put on your wrists, especially uh, like for example, he's right handed, your left wrist. I mean, it's taking so much torque and weight on it. It, it, it you're going to cause so many injuries, and I think that's exactly. What we're seeing, one thing about Bryson whenever he went to this the, to his distance gains is that he, he really was still hitting it halfway straight whenever he did that. So he was long and straight. But now, Sam, over the last couple of years, he couldn't hit the fairway if he had every single map ever drawn in the entire world. I mean, it's, he's so inaccurate. It's unbelievable. And, and his puttings hasn't been the same since they changed uh, the uh, the green rings books. His chipping's not the same. And his iron play, as and what most importantly, like his short irons and his wedges, from what I've seen, even when he was playing good, he had no distance control whatsoever. Because when you're coming in the ball that hot, the ball's compressing so much differently. Sometimes it's flying the extra two or three yards, and it's not. It's, that's one reason, like, Steve Stricker, a player like that, is so good with his wedges because he's not really – he's compressing the ball the exact same every time, even though it's not forceful. He knows what it is. So now, Sam, he's just at a point to where he's not – even if he is trying to hit it further, he he can't hit it straight, and he's putting himself in way too many situations from what I've seen to, to be able to, to recover from. He's making too many big numbers, and like you said this week, he's beating, what, three players? Or, or he's only beating, yeah, two players, beating Charles Schwartzel and, and S. Kim. The only, the, he's tied with Jediah Morgan. So, I mean, he's just playing absolutely horrible. He's made, even yesterday, he made six bogeys and one double. So, it's just, it's too many big numbers, Sam, if you want to play elite golf. Everyone thinks that you need to go out and make a lot of birdies, and not, that's not necessarily the case. You need to be able to make a lot of pars at certain times and not be able to make any bogeys. And Bryson, at this point, is is going to make four or five bogeys around. It's almost guaranteed. Yeah, it's all about consistency, and I just don't see that whatsoever with Bryson's game right now. You know who was really consistent on Live Golf last year? That was one Dustin Johnson. I mean, he had a tied for second at Bedminster, a win, a tied for second at Chicago. He had, you know, his worst finish was a tied for 15th in Bangkok, finished tied for fifth at Jeddah made millions and millions of dollars earned it not just talking about the guaranteed contracts but talking about how good he was playing last year he was able to compete with anybody in the world last year obviously a top five player in the world last year but now he has some back issues finished 37th out of 48 guys in Mayakoba and this week he's tied for 27th did shoot three under yesterday he's two under for the golf tournament but with Dustin Johnson, it just seems like maybe a mixture between the back injury plus the long layover. He's like obviously never had an off season in his career, probably enjoyed himself during the off season. It's tough to kind of prognosticate where DJ's game is. But I'll tell you one thing that in these two events that we've seen him at, at Mayakoba 
And obviously this week at Tucson, it's not consistent whatsoever. Yesterday looked good. The day before that looked horrible. It's not the same consistent Dustin Johnson that we saw last year leading up to the Masters. No, it's not even close. But in all fairness, this has kind of been how DJ's been throughout his entire career, right? I mean, he'll go through three or four months slumps to where he just I remember there was a stretch back I think it was around 2021 I believe somewhere around there where he just he was playing horrible and it's just like you expect him to play so much better then he just goes on this stretch of where he'll just miss three or four cuts in a row or he'll have to withdraw or something like that something you just don't see but then a couple weeks later he'll he'll win three out of four events and finish top five in the other one and it's he's always been streaky I just think the difference now is that he's on lift so we don't know exactly what the necessarily reasons are for it so Will he get his game geared up for Augusta? I'm not exactly sure on that. But I do expect by the time, maybe not in the PJ Championship, by the time U.S. Open or, or the Open Championship, maybe it may happen sooner. That may happen the, uh, the, uh, the, the next live event down in Orlando. I mean, he could play great down there. He could definitely play good at Augusta. I just think that it may take him a little bit of time to work out some of these kinks he's dealing with right now. But uh, I don't think this is the end of Dustin Johnson by any stretch. I just, I just think he's going on one of these one of these couple-month slumps that he's done really essentially since he turned uh, professional, Sam. I agree with you. I think he'll get things figured out. I'm not sure that Bryson is going to get things figured out. Also, Brooks is four under for the golf tournament at Live Golf Tucson. He's been inconsistent as well. Uh, Obviously, if you watched Full Swing on on Netflix, you would have seen that Brooks has been inconsistent ever since – you know, the injuries with the knee, and the, he released that video this week. I think it was worse than a lot of people thought it was. So hopefully Brooks can start being more consistent too. I'd probably rank him as, you know, most likely to uh, kind of compete in major championships this year. Between those three, I'd rank him DJ, Brooks, and then Bryson, a, a, a distant third after those two guys. But a lot of talk has been made about how those guys have struggled. Speaking of Liv, I want to bring up this stat, T-Dub that I saw and how it has helped the PGA tour having that competition and has helped these players on the PGA tour in 2020 and 2021. In that season in 50 events, John Rahm was the leading money winner and he won 7,705,000 T-Dub. We're through 20 events in the 2022-2023 season. Scotty Scheffler is the leading money winner so far. He's won $10,486,495, T-Dub. That is insane. It's a $3 million difference, and, and that's 50 events compared to 20 events. That is why Live Golf has been so important, because they're finally compensating players and paying them what they're actually worth, P-Dub. Well, I remember one of the biggest cries that we had when all this came out was like, Jay Monahan at one point was was like the third highest. If he was a player, he would have been the high, the third highest paid player. And it's like that's an absolute joke because these guys should be making a lot more money than they are. And as you've seen, it takes a little bit of competition for it to finally come out. That's one of the things been clamoring about for years now that these guys should have been making more money than they are. And it's finally here, Sam. It really is a beautiful thing, and they should be thanking Live to an absolute T because it happens in almost any realm of endeavor. You get a little bit of competition. You start doing things that you should have been doing a long time before that, but now you actually get kind of get a little slap in the face. And you say, okay, let's make some changes. Let's keep the, make sure we keep these guys on the PJ Tour. And that's exactly what they did. So kudos to the PJ Tour for making those changes. It just uh, it should have happened um, probably five, maybe even 10, 20 years ago. 
No doubt about it. P-Dub, thank you. Preston Poole, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Please go subscribe to our podcast, the 73rd Hole Podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to recap the Valspar and Live Golf Tucson on the 73rd Hole Podcast. So stay tuned to that. This has been, again, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal.